Paul here speaking to Timothy, saying, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So again, as a service of worship, it's a time for us to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we do so as we once again open up God's word and receive God's teaching and receive the teaching and preaching from that word. Well, please turn yourself to our hymnals as we seek to continue to praise our God using the words of 153. 153, O day of rest and gladness. God's word and, and think about the doctrine of creation this morning. Let us prepare our hearts. Uh, it should be a prayer of preparation, not Thanksgiving. But let's prepare our hearts by praying together that written prayer, which is printed for you in your order of worship. So please follow along with me as we pray, not only with our lips, but especially our hearts, saying, Our gracious God, you build your church on the foundation of the doctrine of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so we pray you would bless our congregation to grow in their teaching. Assist us in the meditating with joy on your mighty acts. Enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Kindle in our hearts a love of your truth. Nourish us with the full counsel of the word of God. 
enable us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints and defend us from the sins of heresy and schism as we have heard the true doctrine complained to us by your great blessing may it be preserved among us and propagated through us by our lips and lives to the glory of the one true God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I printed uh, once again today our scripture passages in our order of worship. So you either can turn to Genesis chapter 1 and Hebrews 11, or you can just follow along with me in the order of worship. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, and so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Also, uh, we'll be confessing together question and answer 26 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So I'll read the question if you please respond by reciting the answer. What do you believe when you say... I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and will turn to my good whatever adversity sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God. He desires to do this because he is faithful Father. Well, as you know, this catechism is split up into those Three sections of guilt, grace, gratitude, and we are continuing our way through the grace or the salvation section of this catechism. And a couple weeks ago, we considered the nature of true faith. Do you remember what the three elements of true faith are? Knowledge, Knowledge assent, assent trust. trust. Yes. Knowledge, assent, trust. And do you remember what the content of this faith is. What are those things that we need to know, ascend to, and trust in, according to the Catechism? And we confessed it earlier in our first service. Apostles' Creed, yes. And so now, like for 15 Lord's Days, the Catechism is, is explaining each article of the Apostles' Creed from a Reformed perspective. So last week, we considered the doctrine of the Trinity. I believe in God, comma, meaning God singular, and then Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The creed goes on to explain uh, the three persons in this one God. So last week we considered the doctrine of the Trinity. And now today we're going to consider the phrase, I believe in the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The doctrine of creation and providence. So today we're going to be focusing on the doctrine of creation. God is creator. And then next week we will look at God as sustainer. And God is the author of providence. So we'll just be looking at the uh, first part of this question and answer. As you can see, this question and answer relates to both creation and providence. So we'll just be focusing on 
the doctrine of creation from this question and answer. Well, as you know, I read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. A very foundational verse that begins our Bible, that uh, speaks to the origin of all that exists. And we have to remember that uh, Genesis 1 through 3 and, and, and the whole first five books of our Bible were written by Moses during the time when Israel was traveling from Egypt to the Promised Land. Moses was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the first five books, which is referred to as the Pentateuch, the Law. So Genesis 1 through 3 were written by Moses during this time. And when he wrote this, there were other so-called creation stories or myths that were in the milieu, as it were, circulating in the ancient Near East. That in these creation stories that other pagan nations had uh, predated, far predated the time of Moses. And we actually know what some of these creation stories and myths say. Archaeologists have recovered remnants of tablets of these creation myths. And there's a lot of parallels and similarities between these other creation stories written by these other pagan nations and Genesis 1 through 3. But there's also some very fundamental differences as well. One similarity that most of these stories have in common is almost all of them speak about creation, some sort of fall, and then a flood. Now, what probably happened is that before Moses actually wrote down this history, God's covenant people probably passed on from generation to generation through oral traditioning an account of God's creation and dealings with his people, sort of a, a family history. And I'm sure that these, uh, some of these pagan nations got, caught wind of what God's covenant people were, were saying, the history of, of God's people. And just like when you play a game of telephone, <laughs> the original message is not the, the end message. It gets corrupted, changed, added to and that could account for some of the similarities with some of these creation myths and stories. Other people maybe witnessed some of these things like the flood or caught wind of, 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 of the story from God's covenant people and kind of changed it to their own ends and, suit, and, and, and suitings. All that to say, when Israel received Genesis 1-3 through 3, on the way to the promised land, they received it and they were called to believe it, trust it, assent to it, instead of all these other creation myths and stories that were circulating. I'm sure they probably were familiar with these other stories, but they were called to believe in God's account of creation that was given to them through Moses. And we are in much the same position today. The, our, the, cultural, the, the dominant story of creation is not in our culture is not what we find in Genesis 1-3. through I would imagine most of our unbelieving neighbors do not believe in Scripture's account of creation. And so we too are called to believe, to know, to assent to Scripture's account of creation as opposed to our culture's, science's account of creation. And so we're in much the same place that Israel was when they received these books originally. So I'd like us to consider this, this doctrine of creation under two main headings. You'll see that question answer 26 speaks about God both as almighty God and faithful father. Almighty God, faithful father. So first we see God as our almighty God. And here we'll be looking at God as creator particularly. Uh, he is almighty God. Well, as, I, as we read, um, in Hebrews 11.3 says that we are to, by faith, understand the universe 
was created by the word of God. So that, by, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Again, Genesis 1.1, Genesis 1-2, through 2, we are called to know, to assent, and trust in God as our creator. What's been revealed to us in Holy Scripture. And when we approach this doctrine of creation, I think there's one, one big trap that we need to beware of. And uh, that trap is we need to be careful that we don't treat these first couple chapters of Scripture as, one, a science textbook, and two, as a myth, just communicating timeless, eternal principles. So first, uh, a science textbook. I think both conservatives and liberals can fall into this trap of, of thinking that the goal, Moses' goal in writing Genesis 1-3 through 3, was to communicate scientific principles. And so you have conservatives trying to def- defend Genesis 1-3 through 3 scientifically, and oftentimes they look silly doing it, and then liberals deconstruct Genesis 1-3 through 3 because it doesn't conform to the standards of 21st century science. We have to realize, though, the goal of Genesis 1-3 through 3 as Moses was inspired by the Holy Spirit, was to communicate theological and historical truth. Was to explain the origin of everything that exists. It wasn't a science textbook, and insofar as he does speak to the book of general revelation and creation, he speaks about it in terms of how we experience creation, not scientifically. So an example would be like the weatherman talking about the sunrise. When we hear that, we know that the weatherman is referring to the sun as we experience it and not speaking about the sun scientifically. The sun doesn't literally rise. And so, too, Scripture oftentimes speaks about the book of general revelation as we experience it because its goal is not to communicate scientific principles, but to communicate theological and historical truth for the edification of, of God's people. So that's the one, uh, the one thing that we need to be aware of. But the other uh, uh, trap we need to watch out for is we can't read it as a myth, a parable. And this is the classic Protestant uh, liberalism, or the, the classic way Protestant liberals have, have read Genesis 1 through 3. It's like one of Jesus' parables. You know, for instance, in Luke 18, we recently considered the parable where Jesus was... Uh, talks about a Pharisee, a tax collector, praying in the temple courts. Again, that's not literally, it's not as if that literally happened. Jesus is, is talking about a parable to communicate a moral truth. Don't be self-righteous. And so, there's been a trend, especially with the rise of liberalism, to view Genesis 1-3 through 3 as just a, a parable, a myth. It's not like it really happened, but we have to get under the text and try to discern what the moral truth is that transcends time. So, for example, the moral truth might be just as God encountered nothing and then chaos and created order out of chaos, so too we are to confront this world which is chaotic at times, unorganized, and we are to uh, create order and beauty out of that which was previously chaotic. That's what a lot of ways we do in our, in our vocations, our employments. We create things out of raw materials. But we have, this is history. This actually happened. So we, have to, we can't read it either as 
a parable, a myth, nor can we read it as a science textbook. And so how should we read it? Uh, well, what does our catechism say about this doctrine of creation? Yes. So our catechism, we confess together that God created out of nothing heaven and earth and everything in them. So this is where we get the doctrine of creation ex nihilo, which is the Latin phrase for from nothing. God created from nothing heaven and earth and everything in them. This is what's important. God is the creator. He is the reason why everything exists. He's the foundation behind everything. Uh, he's the one who continues to sustain and uphold everything, as we'll consider next week with the uh, doctrine of providence. You see in Genesis 1, then, this, this constant refrain of let there be. Let there be, and then after God speaks, we have this note that says, and it was so. A direct correspondence uh, between God's speech and reality. God uses the instrumentality of his word to create. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. The closest thing we have in the creaturely world is a marriage ceremony when the, the minister makes the pronouncement that is creating something that was not previously there before the pronouncement. It's a speech act. That's how God created. He spoke and things came into existence. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see lots of things. Heaven, the heavens and the earth are created, but male and female were created, which is an important thing to emphasize in our own Cultural climate, these things are rooted in, uh, our gender is rooted in God's creation. Marriage was created. And marriage is not something that we as Christians have an exclusive right to. This is something that's good for society in general. Uh, not just for us as, as, as Christians. And we see then this idea that in the beginning God, meaning before he created, all there was was God. There was no matter that pre-existed creation that was eternal that God used to create this universe. Before creation, God just was in the unity of his three persons. This then tells us that God created freely, which means he did not need creation. He did not need us as creatures. It wasn't as if God was lonely and thought to himself, well, I'd like to have a little bit more community beyond the unity of my three persons. I'm going to we create, or you know, I want someone to love, or I want to, I want to be loved. God, God's not dependent upon cre creation. He created freely. This touches upon God's self-existence as a saying. He stands apart from creation. Uh, Isaiah 40 says that, To whom then will, will we liken God, or what likeness will we compare him with? He's in a league of his own, as we saw last week. Isaiah Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah 40 continues and says, my, my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. My ways, neither are my ways your ways. God is in a league of his own. He's distinct from creation. And that's such an important dis uh, distinction to keep in mind as we continue on in, in Scripture is that God is not of this creation. He's not utterly removed from this creation. You have uh, two main viewpoints that, that 
have arisen in theology. You have pantheism, which says that God is just in this creation, in the trees, in the mountain. Or you have deism, where God is just removed from creation. It's like the clock maker. He just sets the, uh, lines up the clock and lets it go. And we really have no relation to God. God is in a league of his own, but he is, as we saw last week, he has condescended to us through his word and entered into a relationship with us by way of covenant. So God is the creator. And he created everything out of nothing. And thus Genesis 1 and 2 explain to us the origin of all that exists. So God is our almighty God. He's our almighty God. But then we also confess together in question answer 26 that he's our faithful father. And how does he become our faithful father according to our catechism? Providence and provision. Yeah, that's that's the that's the chief way in which uh, he acts towards us as our father. Right? He provides for us. He um, cares for us. But how how does we we're not born in this world with God as our father? So how does he become our father? For the sake of Christ, his son. Yes. For the sake of Christ, his son. And there's a wonderful correspondence, an analogy between God's work in, in original creation, in Genesis 1 and 2, as he, by his word, speaks everything into existence, and then how God, in his new creation, uses his inscripturated word to give new life to sinners. So just as God spoke all things into existence in original creation, he likewise uses his inscripturated word, the Bible, to bring new creation into our lives. The New Testament makes this analogy on a number of occasions. For instance, in Romans chapter 4, Paul is speaking about justification by faith as it, as it played out in Abraham's life. In quoting Genesis, he says, uh, he speaks about how God told Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. And then Paul goes on to say, In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So notice that parallel. God both gives life to the dead, salvation, justification, and then he calls into existence the things that do not exist. The analogy between original creation and new creation. Or 2 Corinthians 4, 5 and 6, Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, uh, for God who said, let sh light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So just as God created the light in the beginning, he also then has shown the light of the, of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ into our hearts. Correspondence, original creation, new creation, both come about through the instrument of the word of God. So we see in 1 Peter, 1 uh, Peter says, since you've been born again, through the living and abiding word of God, and this word is the good news that's been preached to you. Ordinarily, how, do we, how, how are we given new life? Through the living and abiding word of God, which comes to us through the preaching of God's word. Romans 10 says that faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. Instrument that God uses to bring spiritual life to sinners is his word. 
his inscripturated word. You know, just as the sacraments seem very ordinary, bread, wine, water, <laughs> but when they're consecrated by God's spirit and word, they are joined to the reality. Christ himself is, is present and we are having communion and participation with Christ and all his benefits through ordinary things like common bread and wine and water. There's an analogy here with the word of God. I and mean, Think about how, how ordinary scripture is. It's God used ordinary languages. Hebrew, which was the language of God's Old Testament people. A little bit of Aramaic. Greek, which was the language of the lingua franca of the first century world. And now you know, we have translations in our common tongue. Ordinary language, ordinary words, ordinary grammar. It's preached through an ordinary human person. But we know that when the Spirit's present, Christ is delivered. Christ is all his benefits. And this is why the Greeks, as they were looking on in the first century upon the Christian church, preaching, gathering every Lord's Day to, to hear the word of God, they said, this is foolish. They're just in love with this ancient text. Well, not for them. Not all of it was ancient. Some of it was relatively novel. Uh, the New Testament epistles. Yeah, when you view it just through the lens of this world of perspective, it is foolish. It's common. It's ordinary. But, according to God's special revelation, the word of God is the ladder by which Christ descends to us. By which we partake of, of the salvation which he has um, accomplished for us. We have to realize then that what God accomplishes through his word is just as miraculous and extraordinary as what he did in Genesis 1 and 2. Just as God spoke and all things came into existence, so too, through his word, in the Spirit's present, something just as miraculous has happened. We're given new life. That new life continues to be strengthened. We're given eyes to see, ears to hear. This, then, is what the mission of, of the, the church is all about. This, this is why we're doing what we're doing here in Gig Harbor, wanting to see a, this church become a particularized, self-sustaining church. Why we've been church planting is because people need to hear this word. This is, this is what we're all about. This is the mission that Christ gave his church, even in the Great Commission, teach them all that I've commanded you. The church ultimately is not just a social gathering or a place to fight cultural battles or to have a fun experience. It's a place to hear God speak. His law to humble us, to get a sense of the weight of the burden of God's law apart from Christ, but also then to hear the gospel and be assured, comforted, and motivated to go out into our week and love our neighbor. You know, think of a, a, a hospital or, or a medical clinic. Let's say there's a, a new hospital or medical clinic that, that goes up and it has the most wonderful lobby, the um, most comfortable chairs, the receptionists are very friendly, new TVs, great magazine collection, wonderful experience. But the doctors are not trained, qualified, and can't really help you. 
Who cares about the lobby experience? You're not going to go there. But let's say there's another medical clinic down uh, across town and terrible facility. Uh, the chairs are, are very uncomfortable. The receptionists are crabby, but the doctors are excellent. And they can help you. Of course, we know which, which place you would go. Well, the same could be said of the church. The church ultimately isn't about a good experience, a church building, comfortable seats, as it were. The church is about hearing the word of God. I think so often many people treat church like it's as if they're going to that hospital clinic that has the comfy chairs, but the doctors aren't healing them. That's just peripheral. The church is, is about hearing God speak. Allowing the Spirit to do His work through that Word in our hearts and in our lives. And so, God is, is our Creator. And, and we'll continue next week to uh, exposit this, this article of, of the Creed, especially as it relates to God as Sustainer and the author of Providence. But throughout this whole section, we're, we're called, to again, to trust. To trust God as our Almighty God and faithful Father. He's a God who is both able to give us all things, we know that when we read Genesis 1 and 2. This is an all-powerful, almighty God. But what gives us so much comfort is when he becomes our father for the sake of Christ his son, he is willing to do that. He's able and willing to grant us all that we stand in need of. And so we truly do indeed believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So let us pray. Lord, we give thanks for who you are as our Father, as the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, we also give thanks that for the sake of Christ, your Son, you have in, uh, indeed become our Father. That you are not only able to give us all things, but willing also. Uh, we also thank you that we have been given this new life through uh, the power of your Spirit and your Word. And, and we give thanks for the blessing of being able to belong to your church and continuing to hear you speak through ordinary means, such as ordinary language and, and human speech. And we pray that your spirit would indeed be present to build us up in this, in this most holy faith. And we pray uh, for the needs of your people. We uh, think of Will's uncle, who is dealing with some health concerns. We just pray for your mercy upon him. And we also pray for those who are away from us, uh, those, uh, uh, the Witt family, for Tony, we pray for those who are ill, um, who are sick, who can't be with us. We uh, pray for your mercy upon them. Uh, we pray that as we go out into this week that you would help us to uh, truly rest in Christ's finished work on our behalf, but that we would be able to uh, be attuned to the needs around us and uh, forget about ourselves, as it were, and focus on uh, the callings that you have given to us uh, so that we can bless our neighbor. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who is our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, please stand as we respond to God's word with the words of 226. 226.
as you go forth into another week, be assured that you go forth with God's blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of his Holy Spirit, you too may abound in hope. Amen.